is out. The test is over. Goodness me. Wow. That was a beauty. It is out. And here he goes. This delivery has him using the bowl. On the front foot with Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney. Powered by Newstalk ZB and iHeartRadio. On the front foot this week, we're joined by Richard Collins as we pay tribute to Tails. Bruce Taylor, who passed away on February 6th. Watching the, the sort of the power of Tails and the grace of Bert, you know, it was really great to watch and uh, I was glad I was there. England make it four wins on the trot in Asia. We feel like we're building something and, and whether it's the fitness side of it, we're trying to push each other. And, you know, for me, as I get older, I feel like I, I need to work harder at that and I'm trying to keep up with the younger guys. Kyle Myers. Kyle who? makes a dream debut for the West Indies. We were always positive in the dressing room, regardless of the situation. And we welcome the Aussies for a five-match T20 series after they've had two weeks in lockdown. There's no issues from our part. There's not a huge amount of reservations in that area. And we talk the Dream 11 Super Smash with White Fern Amy Satterthwaite. I think we've performed really well throughout the season. We've worked really hard on a few things as a group coming into it. We knew that... We had to, to do a lot of hard work to improve on. Brian Waddle, along with Alex Chapman and Jeremy Coney, on the front foot. It's been a sad year for many cricket fans with the passing of some of the game's biggest names. J.R. Reid, John F. Reid, Ross Dykes and John Ward, to name a few. And this week, we pay tribute to Tails, a tremendous talent who passed away at the age of 77. Bruce Taylor produced some wonderful individual moments. Just the one ball in this over from Edwards to Taylor. Can he get it off this one? Edwards in. Holes to Taylor. Taylor goes for a big hit. just one of them at Eden Park a century against the West Indies 88 minutes they didn't calculate the balls faced in 1969 we're joined by one of his teammates over a long period of time to remember <clears throat> the efforts of uh, Tails Richard Collins and Aro it's uh, it's sad to be recalling Tails in this fashion but he were remembered with uh, a lot of pride and joy by people yeah, you certainly would, uh, Brian, and thanks for inviting me on to your show. Uh, yes, I had the pleasure of um, going on many tours with Tails and especially the very first tour where he virtually was selected in the side after Gary Bartlett, I understand, was uh, deemed unfit. So uh, Tails came in to replace him and then uh, second test against India uh, in Calcutta. Gary Sinclair was ill and Tails came into the side then and I had the pleasure of watching him and Bert Sutcliffe uh, batting together and uh, Tails carved off uh, 105 from memory and Bert was 151 not out. And and watching the, the sort of the power of Tails and the grace of Bert, you know, it was really great to watch and uh, I was glad I was there. Yeah, I guess they were probably two totally different players on the park. You mentioned about the, the grace and the skill that Sutcliffe had. Uh, but 
Tails, 105 in 158 minutes would have been a, a, just a, a prime example of the way he played cricket, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, for sure. And and, and remembering that today uh, J.R. Reid had blazed 80 in the morning session, you know, and uh, I think he had four sixes and ten balls or something. So, so really, there was some uh, great cricket to watch. But that's that's the way Bruce batted, and um, and that you know, of course, the hundred against the West Indies uh, was uh, fantastic. Yeah, the the partnership that uh, he and Bert Sutcliffe put on was key in terms of what uh, New Zealand faced in that game too, because uh, playing in those conditions over there, that conditions that New Zealand just never experienced in those times anyway, did they? No, it was very hot, humid, and um, it was quite ironic that, that both the Calcutta Test and the Bombay Test, that we only played two seamers, where had we had three, we might have won both those games because uh, in Bombay, uh, Bruce and Dick Motts had bowled India out for 88. India followed on and, of course, made 400-odd and uh, saved the game. But had we had a third seamer uh, in that test, uh, the result might have been a lot different. I don't mean this rudely, but you were basically boys in international cricket in those days. You, I think, were 18 or 19. Tails was 21. You were very new on the scene, and it was a tough environment for young people to head off to what was a demanding tour in 65, wasn't it? Well, it certainly was. And, and, and Tails, of course, had a terrific start, uh, not only to his batting career for New Zealand, but his bowling, in that he, I think he got a, a, just over 20 wickets in the in the India-Pakistan section of the um, tour, and then uh, not quite as successful in the tests over in England. But remembering that England had a, a jolly fine batting line-up in those days, and uh, pretty hard to get through... Uh, a whole lot of them. So, but the thing that impressed me about Tails was, and this is probably why he did very well in India and Pakistan, was he had the ability to get bounce and 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 movement out of the wicket that no one else could get. He just had that ability, and and I think he also proved that in the West Indies in 1972 on that tour. Even though I had to come home early, but uh, from what I've heard and read and listened to. Uh, it was the same thing. So that was one of the abilities he had. Yeah, and that was a tour in which uh, he produced remarkable performances. I think he played in four of the five tests and took 27 wickets in that series in the West Indies. And, uh, you know, that's sort of uh, figures of West Indies pace bowling performances, isn't it? Oh, for sure, yes. That was terrific. But And it was, it was ironic that West Indies really didn't have any pace bowlers of the, you know, like the Halls and the Griffiths had gone. Um, they really had no real, real uh, quickie in their side in that uh, until perhaps 1975 onwards that your Andy Robertses and your Joel Garners and, and uh, Michael Holdings came into the scene. Yeah, and we talked about tails in that uh, test match in India's debut Five for 86 he took, and it's a remarkable performance because he is the only cricketer to have scored 100 and taken five wickets on test debut, which in itself says a lot about what he was able to bring to the game. Yes, that's right, and um, you wonder, um, had he been uh, in the one-day 
uh, seen that uh, how devastating he would have been uh, then and we could have done with him in England in uh, 75 for the World Cup over there and uh, never know we might have slipped into the final but uh, we got knocked over by West Indies in the semi. You talked about uh, Tails being able to get bounce he had that well he was tall as you were and he had that very high delivery didn't he, he was he was very much over the top with his delivery and, and a very supple wrist. Oh yes for sure and then that's probably the secret behind uh, um, his successes uh, on the, on those you know those real dead wickets as such. You obviously had to work pretty closely with him too because bowlers have a special club when you go away, don't you? And uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion about uh, how the game is progressing and and the business of of bowling. And I suppose you'd have been very close with Tails. Oh, very much so. Um, we were um, went on many tours and we remained great mates and. I used to sort of try and ring him once a month and just uh, see how he's getting on and, uh, you know, making sure he's okay. And uh, so uh, and every time I passed through Wellington, of course, I'd always pop in and see him and we'd have a catch-up. So, yeah, we, we, we remained very close. I was looking at some domestic uh, games and, and you didn't get a bat in this game, but there was a game between Wellington and Otago where Bruce got 173, Jeremy Coney got 94 and put on a massive 255-run partnership. And I think you might well have been there and uh, had a chance to put your feet up and watch Tails in action again on that game. Yeah, I remember that because I think we might have been three or four down for virtually nothing and then uh, Cherry and uh, Tails got together and put on a great partnership and I, I think that too that when we got to the field I think Glenn Turner and Bev Conger might have got 100 so it was a pretty good wicket but no, I remember that and it was showed that uh, when Tails could apply himself uh, he could bat for long periods of time. What other uh, performances can you remember uh, of him on international tours? Because uh, they, they, the ones we've mentioned weren't the only ones, but he, he played some cameos in a number of places, didn't he? Yeah, he, he got uh, some runs in Pakistan on a real bad wicket um, in Rawalpindi. 76, yeah. 60, in, no, in, in 65. No, but he scored yeah, 76, I think. If, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, I thought you were referring, referring to um, the 76 tour of India and Pakistan. Ed, I thought, gee, there's a... I must have missed something. But in, yes, he sure had. Yeah. <laughs> 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 anyway, the wires crossed there. But yes, he did. He yeah. got that 76 and uh, batted uh, exceptionally well uh, on, on what was a bad wicket. I could tell stories about him declaring when I was 92 in a club game in Wellington once uh, because he thought it was time we got out and I hadn't batted quickly enough for him. So uh, those are the sorts of memories I'll carry of Tails along the way. But there are some wonderful memories about the Tails. Yes, it's indeed. sad that we are paying tribute to him at this early stage, 77, when he passed away this week. But uh, fondly remembered by us, Richard. Indeed. Brian Waddle. Jeremy Coney yes, on the front foot. Great to hear from Richard Collins again in uh, Australia. Jerry, uh, you stayed with him when you were over there uh, at Christmas time, oh, 2020, wasn't it? Or 2019, when we were allowed to travel in that part of the world. And I'm sure you remember that game at Dunedin. He didn't have to bat, but you and Tails did. No, that's true. I do remember that match in Otago. Uh, that was the, the Plunkett Shield we used to play for in those days. Tails was the captain. And uh, John Morrison, J.F.M. Morrison, mystery, uh, had got out 
to a strange delivery from Brian Andrews, a full toss that just trimmed the bales. <laughs> and he missed it and was out bowled for a duck. And Tails came in and he pulled a muscle in his leg. It's the only reason our team thought he could bat for so long, because he didn't have to move. And so poor old Mystery was the only one out at that stage. And so he had to run for Bruce Taylor. And he ran for the first session. He ran all day for Bruce Taylor. Up and down and up and down the pitch and made duck. He got he got the Joe of the War today at the end of the day for being out on the field all match, you know, so far. Didn't score a run. And so I remember the first time Tails hit the ball down to fine leg and I was a bit confused. I was a young and then that was my first year of Plunkett Shield. And I was watching Tails at the other end. He wasn't even moving. I could see there was a comfortable single. And suddenly I saw to my left there was a blur of a person racing. Well, that was mystery. And he was at my end at that point as well. And then I could hear him swearing loudly, realizing I hadn't moved and raced back and dived in, having completed the longitudinal requirement of two uh, and dusting himself down and no addition to the total whatsoever. So, uh, poor old mystery that day. But Tails, he was a dangerous batsman, naturally aggressive could plonk anything from just on a length outside off to backward square quite comfortably, thank you very much. And was a, when he was going and the stars were aligned, he could really take most attacks apart. And he did a few times, not just, I think that was his first and best first-class total that he got in that game. And Otago was strong. They had Turner and they had Congdon and some other players as well. So, and I think he got 170. I do remember I got 90-odd and got nicked out down the leg side, which annoys me to this day. But however, yeah, he was a dangerous player, Tails, with the bat. Yes, that reminds me too of, you talk about that, yeah, I can remember batting with him in club cricket, not uh, to a very high level, and, and he wasn't one of the great runners between the wickets, that's why he was a boundary hitter, I think, fours and sixes, and uh, the running between the wickets was sort of secondary. Well, I can't see you wanting to hit too many boundaries, I think you'd be a little worker, wouldn't you, you'd nerdle it around and get those little feet moving along like a velocipede up and down the wickets. Yes. So Tails wouldn't respond to some of that at all. He'd be looking and gazing the other way. So, yeah, and, and he, he declared on you, didn't he? You've talked about that for about 10 seasons now. Every season you remind me that that, that second hundred you could have had at club cricket where Tails declared on you. Yes, yeah. Have you ever I, forgiven him? Are you scratching uh, I, your head I, at the I, moment, I'm sure? I did, I did forgive him uh, because it was for the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. But not only those, but I mean, yeah, the, the, the other innings we've talked about was RO College. Uh, you know, uh, his performance in India in that first test match, 21 year old he was, you know, and he gets 100 in Calcutta. Uh, I don't know, you played in Pakistan, you didn't play in oh, India, did you? Oh. Uh, but I mean, that's the harshest environment to play cricket in those days, wasn't it? Oh, look, 55 years ago to tour India and Pakistan, it was a difficult place. Tails actually got into that second test uh, at Kolkata, but Sinky, Barry Sinclair was ill and um, he batted number eight. And it was a young team, as you quite rightly pointed out, there were over half that touring side were on their first tour. So why they sent Bert Sutcliffe along with them 
to look after them, to be their father. So, so tails going out there at number eight, New Zealand were, I think, six down, obviously, for about 220. And he got 100, he just took them apart. And there was Bert at the other end, getting 150-odd not out. Batting in the heat, tails again, wasn't interested in running, I'm sure. And Bert used to tell him, you just keep calm, lad. Keep calm. Don't play the big, don't take risks. Whack. A hundred, brought up a hundred with a six. Oh, that wasn't great advice, was it? <laughs> says Bert. So, I mean, to do that, and then he went out and gave his all with the ball, didn't he? Mm. And he got five wickets, I think, on that debut match. Five for 86. And, yeah, and uh, four of them were top-order batsmen. Only one's tail-ender, Ventakaragavan. And I think he actually, in the next test, got five as well. And he bowled so hard and gave so much heart to the whole thing that he actually went off and was unconscious, lost consciousness in the changing room, came back and batted 10 in that next test match. But that series, Wads, the first seven matches were all tests. No yeah. warm-up games, nothing in between, seven tests in a row. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy tour either, apart from just the actual living and the food and the arrangements around things, which weren't, in 55 years ago, weren't great, I wouldn't have thought. No, and then he had to, they, they had to go to England and play test matches in England. I mean, it was, it was India, Pakistan, England, Bermuda on the way home. I mean, they were away for almost a year. Hey, you're absolutely right. They left in February and came back late July. You know, yeah. They're just different tours than they used to be. Tails, for some reason, I don't quite understand, didn't do quite so well in England where you thought his style of bowling would have done very well indeed. He was, he was a tall enough man anyway, but he used more than the height he had. And that's how it felt when you were facing him. And therefore, he not only got, and he was lively, he'd hurry you up. And he'd get more bounce than you thought perhaps he would. But because he was that coming in that angle to the pitch, he would just dent the surface a little bit and therefore could get seam when other bowlers couldn't. And, you know, even in games, when games were meandering along, there was always tails. Yeah. You could always bring him on. And he was my first captain in that first year. And he was great to play, you know, uh, with and alongside, he always tried to win whatever the situation was. He'd try and manipulate the variables to make it into a game of some sort. And that was a hang of a good fun to play. You found you actually were able to engage in the games and you actually almost did better than you thought you might anyway. And it's always a good way, I think, to play under captains who are trying to do something until they realise you can't win. Yeah, he brought a cavalier that, approach to things, didn't he? Absolutely. And he brought people into the game uh, and brought people to the park. I mean, that 100 he got against the West Indies at Eden Park. Oh, man, what an innings. Went out, borrowed a bat. Don't know what happened to his bat. That's tails. Wouldn't know where that was. Left it somewhere. And borrowed a bat. Out he went. And 85 minutes later, he had 100. Brought it up with a six, two sixes, consecutive sixes off Garfield. This is Wes Hall and Charlie Griffiths, and, and they also had uh, the off-spinner. Lance Gibbs. Yeah, Lance Gibbs. He was in that side as well. Doc Edwards was there. Fantastic match. Only a four-day game, actually, I think, in that, one, that game. But New, New Zealand scored runs quickly. West Indies responded. And they, I think that New Zealand... 
set them about, I don't know, about 300 and something or other to win. And the West Indies got them as it happened. So it was a heck of a good match to go to. I'm sure New Zealand won the second match of that series at Wellington, didn't they? That was that that one that we know so well because that's when we were there. But what a, what, what a great player Tails was uh, at times. You know, the stars that I mentioned before, stars had to align, didn't they? Yes. Um, and, and I don't know whether you found that playing with him as well. You played on Saturdays with him, didn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, he was a sort of player that you knew how good a player he was and, and, and it helped you lift your performance because you didn't want to let the team down. It didn't make me any better as a cricketer, but you felt as though that was the way you wanted to uh, to play just to ensure that the 60 he would have got off 20 balls in a club game was something special and you didn't want to let the side down. Yeah, uh, and he, he was a, he was good in the... I mean, as a captain, he had put people in strange positions, not to save the single, not to save the boundary, somewhere in between, or a fly slip would suddenly appear. And sure enough, bonk, next, next ball, a catch would go there. People sort of said he had the golden touch, you know what I mean? He, but he had an instinct. That's really what it was. He had an instinct for the game and a uh, heck of a good fun to play. Good around a team, um, fun-loving, um, light up a game I've mentioned, drew people in and to, to watch. I will remember him so fondly because uh, he was just always had a bit of a smile on his face. Brian Waddle, Jeremy Coney, on the front foot. The tough was always going to be important but from that point on it was really really crucial that we exploited that and we made the most of the opportunity to bat first on that wicket. It's certainly very uh, very good victory but in the scheme of the uh, series it's, it's just a start. We know that India are an extremely good team especially in these conditions and they're, they're a very proud nation as well. They're, they've got some, some exceptional players so they'll come back harder. So it was a really solid and complete performance from the whole team. Uh, I think that guys that we've got is, is really special. We've, we're creating something really special, led amazingly well by Joe Root, uh, both on and off the field. The way, the way he's batted the last three games has been incredible to watch. But yeah, we, we feel like we're building something. Two of the stars of England's win over India, Joe Root, of course, 218. Jimmy Anderson, he never seems to run out of life or wicket-taking ability. I've got to say, Jerry, that uh, some of the stuff coming out of England uh, makes me cringe a little bit. The over in which he took two wickets, and it was a double wicket maiden, is now being regarded as one of the greatest overs ever bowled in Test cricket, forgetting the fact that, of course, uh, Fred Titmus took four wickets in an over. Andrew Caddick did exactly the same thing. So too did Bossy Macram. And yet now Jimmy Anderson at 38 has bowled the greatest over in Test cricket. Yeah, well, they like to, they, they give awards to everything. And, you know, you get the award, the World Award for Chips and things like that, you know. Uh, I mean, that's their style, but it was an impressive win, wasn't it? It'll be a long time since India have been beaten so comprehensively at home. And I know there were complaints about the ball and the complaints about the pitch after the match, particularly by Indian players. Um, but, you know, this, this is an interesting one, though, isn't it, from a New Zealand perspective as well, because if for some reason, there's still a long way to go, but if for some reason they do get up here and New Zealand will be playing England, I think the, the message that's coming through loud and clear, even though they've played Sri Lanka twice, 
now, and this is the, the first time against India. This is a team that looks to be doing the right things and getting the right ideas about how to play test cricket, the longest format. So yes, they're riding on the back of Joe Root's vein of form, but I do think they've adapted the way they play test cricket to suit that. It shows that they're in their batting, they're more patient. Uh, I don't mean they're dead batting the ball. Um, they're taking singles and twos and so on. And you look at the Indian bowlers' wads and you look at, say, Ashwin at home, who's a very effective bowler in India. He bowled 55 overs in that first innings. And yet he only bowled what? How many maidens? Five. Five only maidens from a spinner in India. That's unusual. They're picking up runs all the time. You look at Nadim, who bowled 44 overs. I mean, England are knocking this ball around a lot more. They took five wickets between them, but they went for over 300, those spinners. One of the things that I find hard to fathom is this is an, an Indian side that was in Australia and won in their conditions, but yet in the conditions that they find the most favourable, they did struggle. Are they struggling because of the tiredness associated with being in Australia, or is England just a better side? I think both of those things might be components. Hard for us to know back here. But also a newish pitch, a new groundsman at the pitch as well, a new ball that was being used, all are components which sort of together... I think, affected the game, maybe. that It didn't behave the way the Indians felt. That's why they've been saying things afterwards. It wasn't the normal conditions they were anticipating. And England were able to adapt to it and take advantage. They had six days in isolation and then went into the match. So you've got to give them full marks. Their spinners did the job. There was Bess got four wickets in the first innings. Leach got four in the second. Then Anderson came in with a, with a few key wickets that Shubman Gill and the, and the Ajinka Rahane in the, in the same over did help. Now England are tossing up with Jofra Archer injured and not in the second test match. Whether or not they bring Stuart Broad into the side, well, <laughs> you know, they've rested all these players. They were talking of resting Jimmy Anderson. Mark Wood has stayed back in England to be rested. <laughs> there's, a, there's more rest and rotation than there is form players being selected. Yeah, you're right. And they're doing that and they're trying to, I think they're doing quite a PR job at the moment to let people know this may not be our best side on the field. And everyone's wailing about that, of course. But if this is not their best side... <laughs> They'll be quite useful, won't they? So let's let's wait and see about all that. But but they are. It's their batting. You, you know, first innings runs was are so important over in India, and to have guys even like Sibley batted for six hours and nearly seven hours for his eighty odd. Stokes batted for two. Rory Burns got thirty, batted for two hours, and so you're getting partnerships. All the time. Yeah, and, you know, the, the the fact that you're chasing 600 when you come in to play your first innings after two days in the field, you're always playing to save the test. You're not playing to win it, aren't you? That's why those, those big first innings, and that's why the toss. Everything happened nicely for England, didn't it? Let's be fair. But at the same time, they did do it, and full marks to them, but they've still got, what, three to go, three tests. The names Kyle Mayers and Nkrumah Bonner were hardly known outside the Caribbean until they put themselves in the record books, both on test debut. 
They played match-winning innings, Myers scoring 210, Bonner 86 in a fourth-wicket stand of 216, a partnership that Myers was rightly proud of. We were always positive in the dressing room, regardless of the situation. Even when they got up a hand on us in the first, in the first innings, where they scored 400, um, going into the, the last day, the coach just told us to stay positive. The game was wide open, and everyone believed in each other in the dressing room. And we just went out there and, and tried our best. The first objective was just to stick to our game plan as long as possible, and then see how far it takes us um, to the end, to the to the last hour. And we did that. And I think the partnership was was brilliant. I mean, we came together well. He is a more patient batsman than I am. I am the guy who who likes to get on with the game. And he's the guy who likes to wear on the border, so the partnership was brilliant. And in scoring a double hundred in the fourth innings and on debut, he's only the sixth player in history to achieve that milestone and was elevated alongside some of the greats of the game. It hasn't hit me as hard as yet because I still have a job to do. There's one more test. I don't want to get caught up with all the records and every case. And yeah, I just want to make sure I finish the series on a positive note. Um, but really and truly, it's an honour to, to be yeah, there those days. Kyle Mayer is a man who made a name for himself. Yes, he was in New Zealand with their T20 side uh, just before Christmas. Bowled one over in Bay Oval, went for 10 runs, never seen again with the ball, and scored 20. And, of course, the next game that he was down to play got rained out. So uh, that was uh, Kyle Mayer's. But what a stunning performance. 210 on debut in Bangladesh and winning a test match that seemingly had gone away from them, Jerry. Yeah, well, we were talking earlier about Bruce Taylor in an all-round debut performance. Here is another one. This was a game, basically, it seems that one side was in charge for four days and then there was upheaval on day five. To have, uh, what, nearly 400 to chase in the last innings in Bangladesh is not easy. We remember Nathan... Now, Astle's 222, don't we, in the last innings of a match down in Christchurch? Well, here's another one. A guy comes in on debut, got 40 in the first innings, and then he hits seven sixes and 24s to an attacking kind of innings, just like the Bruce Taylor innings we talked about, the way he played. So Kyle Mazin at the other end, uh, what's how do you pronounce the name? It's Bonner. We know he's... Nkrumah. Nkrumah. Nkrumah Bonner. Of course it is. Well, he was the man who was the president of Ghana, Kwane Nkrumah, and that's oh, the same name. Nkrumah Waddle. And um, yeah, so one a left-hander, one a right-hander, one from Jamaica, the Bonner, and, and, and then Kyle Mayers from, uh, from Barbados. 216-run partnership. I tell you what, there wouldn't be too many other where both get over that number on, uh, on debut, I wouldn't have thought. It's interesting how they got there. Of course, others didn't want to go to Bangladesh from the West Indies. Jason Holder opted out. Correct. Bonner is 32, making yeah. his uh, test debut. And he's got an average, I think, batting average of something around about 26 to 28. And uh, Mayers is 28. And I think his average is about 32. So they don't have numbers that say, pick me, pick me, do they really? No, they don't. Isn't it, isn't it all great the way that Test cricket throws up these extraordinary days? 
it's, it's fantastic. The Australian cricketers are in lockdown preparing for the series against New Zealand. Five T20 matches coming up. Their captain, as ever, in the short-form game is Aaron Finch. He says he's not concerned that, once again, they're having to live in a bubble. It goes with the touring framework. With some cases popping up throughout Australia, you can understand New Zealand's reluctance to just open the borders freely, especially with guys who have been travelling around the States quite a bit. So uh, there's no issues from our part. There's not a huge amount of reservations in that area. And there's almost an element of experimentation about the series with the World T20s later this year. The great thing about this tour is that everyone's in really good form. So we'll use this as a way to gather a lot of information leading up to that T20 World Cup, no doubt, which means that there, there'll be, there might be a little bit of shuffling, but we'll, we'll try and stick as much as we can to guys playing their roles that they're accustomed to or, or where we can see them in the future playing. The result is not the be-all and end-all. I think building up and, and finding information, finding different ways that our team can structure up is almost more important. And even before this series begins, he's released the batting order two weeks out. Wade, Philippi and myself, yeah, that'll be our top three. Maxi and Stoin, four and five around, around that area, I would, I would assume. So, yeah, that's pretty... Josh Philippi's been in great nick and, and it's great to see him playing well. Uh, Matty Wade, you know how dynamic he is, along with Maxi. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty self-explanatory, I think, with that top order. We're going to be flexible with that top order as well, though. Brian Waddle, Jeremy Coney, on the front foot. Two new players were named in the women White Ferns for the upcoming series with England that starts shortly. Auckland teenager Fran Jonas and Northern District's Brooke Halliday named in the 13 squad. And Captain Sophie Devine says, while Jonas isn't the first teenager to earn national honours, it's still a big moment for her. Oh, it's huge. We certainly know the potential that she has. I guess she's been on our radar for a little while now and we've probably let her just bubble away um, at age group stuff and obviously here with the hearts. They've done a fantastic job, I guess, making sure she's ready and prepared for that next step up and, and we're, we're really excited to give her that opportunity now, I think, as well, being a left-arm spinner. We don't have too many of them floating around New Zealand, so certainly offers a point of difference for us. And Devine says it's great to welcome back the experience of Frankie Mackay. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the thing. When you score the weight of runs and take the wickets that she has consistently in domestic cricket, it is hard to ignore and... Everyone knows the talent that Frankie brings and, and her knowledge and experience. I know she's been itching to get back into the White Ferns environment, so it's fantastic to see her back in the, back in the fold. And, and I know she'll slip straight back in. I think she's so well experienced in the domestic scene. She knows her game very well, and I think that's uh, probably a positive when you bring in slightly older players that they know their game a little bit better than maybe younger players. So certainly be looking to her to, to make an impact straight away. And with the women's game, well, the Firebirds and the Magicians were the top qualifiers for the Dream 11 Super Smash, and they earned the right to progress to the finals automatically, while others had to fight for the remaining final slot. And for the Canterbury Magicians, it capped off a great year for the team that picked favourites Wellington Blaze for the top spot, and their top player, Amy Satterthwaite, says it was well-deserved. Yeah, it's always nice to have a play on words like that, isn't it? But, um, look, I think we've performed really well throughout the season. We've worked really hard on a few things as a group coming into it. We knew that... We had to, to do a lot of hard work to improve on where we were last year and I think it's pleasing to see that that sort of hard work's paid off and I think near the end there was obviously a couple of games that we were watching pretty eagerly to see where we'd finish up so yeah, it was nice to, to finish on top and, and get that sort of road straight through to the final. Yeah, and because it wasn't um, written in stone really, was it? Because Wellington for a while were looking as though they were going to, the Blaze were going to uh, win the competition, but uh, you beat them in an, impo in an important game, which changed the tide, really, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I think uh, they've been a team that we haven't beaten for 
a few years. Frankie McConaughey's always over the stats and reminded us how long it had been when we did manage to, to pip them. But it was nice to get up over them. They're a strong quality side that have sort of dominated the competition for the last few years. So to be able to get a win over them was, was huge for us. What's been the real key for Canterbury's success to get to this position? Um, I think it always sounds a little bit cliche, but I think with us we've managed to have a lot of different people kind of stand up. I think we've you know, had four or five with the bat that have produced performances we needed, and then we've had a lot of different players with the ball that have stood up, and I think within that we've got a nice rebalance. We've had a few injuries. We've had Leah miss a few games. We've had Jacinta Savage out recently with injuries, and when that's happened, people have managed to kind of step into their place and, and fill that role. So I think that's been the, the really pleasing thing is, is different people have stepped up at different times and sort of held their nerve in key moments, which has been awesome. And for you, it's been a good season. Currently, you are the top uh, run-getter in the Dream 11 Super Smash. So uh, individual form, in the case of you, is important as well for the side because you're a leading player, aren't you? Yeah, I think when you're in a position like I am, that you've been around for quite a few years now, you're, you're always wanting to you know, produce performances for the team and, and try and help get them over the line. So it's been pleasing from a personal point of view that I've been able to put some performances on the park and I think I was probably disappointed with the way I went across the ditch in the WBBL. So to be able to come home and, and kind of improve on that's been a nice feeling. But yeah, always just wanting to put my best foot forward for the team and hopefully we can do it again in the weekend. Do you, as one of the senior players, feel a, a weight of expectation that you have to uh, deliver because you've got some uh, good players around you, as you say, and uh, and some top-performing players as well? Uh, I think the balance of our side probably allowed me to play with a little bit more freedom this year, which has been nice. I think I've tried to take a little bit of that responsibility off my shoulders and, and kind of let myself play, like I say, with freedom and, and have a bit of a, a higher strike rate than I probably would have in the past. It's been something that I've probably challenged myself to, to do and improve in my T20 game. So it's been nice to do that from that point of view. And I think that the way that a lot of the other players have sort of batted around me has allowed me to play with that, that sort of style as well, which has been pleasing. And Frankie Mackay uh, is uh, leading the team and, and also doing uh, an excellent job as well as that she's earned uh, reselection for New Zealand. Does, does that play an important part? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Frankie's been around for a long time and I've played a lot of cricket with her and she's got an extremely good cricket brain on her head and she's played some really good cricket for a long time now and been very consistent at domestic level. So to see her get a, a recall back into the White Ferns uh, after what's been a, a little while, uh, it's been awesome and I think very well deserved in the way that she's performed and, and led the team this year has been exceptional and she's always one to lead from the front with her performances and I think this year has been sort of no different to that. Life's a bit different when you've qualified for the final. You don't have that nervous expectation, or is there a, a nervousness about uh, preparing for a final? I think there's always a little bit of nerves that come with a final, but it's almost an excitement as well. I think it's not often you get to play in, in finals cricket, and I know as a team it's been a little while since we've played a final, so I know the girls are really excited about what Saturday brings, and um, to think that we got the opportunity to go straight through was you know, just added that extra bit of excitement and to know what we're sort of planning for and, and what's in store. And the girls are, are really excited about what lies ahead. I know that there's always a little bit of extra pressure with finals cricket, but often the team that can kind of deal with that the best and, and still go out and perform to their strengths and what they've done sort of throughout the season often comes out on top. And the, the Canterbury side will probably have memories, I think, of a of a last ball thriller and, and a loss. Is, is that a couple of years ago that that happened? Yeah, I wasn't involved in that game, but I certainly watched it on TV and it was pretty heartbreaking to see how close they managed to get. But I think they'll take a lot of heart out of that as well. It, it does mean that quite a few of our girls have got finals experience, which certainly helps um, going into a final just to have known what it feels like and, I guess, 
um, deal with that sort of emotion that comes with it. So hopefully it puts us in a good position come Saturday. What's been the quality of the competition like this year? It seems to have had a lot of public uh, expectation and, and people have been turning up to watch the game. Has the standard been up there, do you think? Yeah, look, I think the standard's improving and I think the beauty of it is by putting it on TV and having these double headers and getting more people in to watch, I think I've been really impressed with the number of people that have turned up to watch us at home at Hackley. It's been awesome, the support that we've seen. And I think through that um, comes, like you say, higher expectation and it sort of pushes the, the girls to work harder and, and get better. And I think throughout um, sort of the season and with time over these last couple of years, the, the standard is getting better and better and probably shows in some of the white fern selections as well that you've got different players starting to put their hand up and start to put pressure on other players that have sort of been there for a while and it shows that the depth of you know cricket in New Zealand is starting to get deeper, which is always a really positive thing. At the end of all this, you've got uh, a, a one-day series against uh, England. Is this good preparation for you? The side has been named, 13 players named. It looks like a good side. Yeah, it's going to be a massive test for us. They're the world champions in this format, and I think they're going to be a, a really big test in terms of seeing where we're at. I think in terms of our one-day game, we've been pretty disappointed with how we've gone, and I think someone reminded me the other day we haven't won a one-day game for about three years now. So it's it's been a long time, and I think we've got a lot of work to do in the next 12 months to be competitive at our Home World Cup. So there's certainly a lot of motivation behind it, and I think we've got to you know see where we're at against this quality, strong England side, and hopefully put up some good performances and, and be really pleased with how we're going. Yeah, a lot of cricket for you, and I suppose with all that you've got to mix in your parenting duties as well. Uh, are they demanding, or do you manage to cope well with that? <laughs> it's been interesting, obviously, first season back, and, and not sure how it was going to go, but I've been really fortunate with the amount of support that I've got around. Um, not only at home but also around the country that sort of allowed me to continue to play and, and get back on the park and I've enjoyed the, the balance of it. It's always hard to leave Grace at home when you're going off for trainings and, and games but um, it's worth it at the same time, um, just the enjoyment that I've still got in playing the game and and like I say, just um, really fortunate to be able to do both at the moment, but absolutely loving the, the balance. The thoughts there of Amy Satterthwaite from the Canterbury Magicians up against Wellington Blaze in the Dream 11 Super Smash brings to an end another edition of On the Front Foot. My thanks to Richard Collins for joining the show, to Alex Chapman, to Jeremy Coney. This is Brian Waddle, back next week on the front foot. Days of summer singing.